0: Let's get right into today's episode. Canada's population surge has really come to the forefront in the last couple of years. This is based on the headlines that we're being inundated with that are talking about the rising home prices, all time high rental rates, the impacts on the infrastructure and the potential adverse effects to our economy. So we're going to dive into all things population today, as well as touch on the very recent inflation numbers and the impacts those might have on interest rate cuts or lack thereof. And first, we do have an exciting opportunity, though, for our listeners. And this is for anyone who's ever said, I'm looking for a deal because deals are hard to come by in Vancouver real estate. But this one might be the right fit for you. Because if you heard about it, Parkway 1 by Bosa was a previous tower they released about 18 months ago that sold out in two days. Immense demand on that project. And this is largely because of the price point and its location just steps away from Surrey Central Station. Super convenient, very walkable. This next project that they're releasing called Parkway 2 will be a great opportunity for investors and homeowners alike.
1: What's really interesting about this particular project is BOSA is honoring the same pricing that they saw 18 months ago when they released Parkway One. Studios, they're starting in the mid to high 300s, with one beds in the high 400s, and two beds in the high 600s. So preliminary
0: information is really just coming out now, but that is because we are ambassadors to BOSA and have early, early access to this project. So what does that mean for you? Well, working with us, you would get the first choice of units to pick from and, of course, the uh, first tier pricing that BOSA will be unveiling soon enough. So if you would like access to this deal and learn more about it, just get a hold of us. The county be links below and we'd love to share what we can do for you when it comes to getting a deal in the Vancouver real estate marketplace. Now, let's dive into what is important this week with real estate. So looking back, during COVID, the Bank of Canada began its first ever foray into quantitative, quantitative easing. Starting almost right at the lockdowns in April of 2020, the Bank of Canada started purchasing government bonds at the rate of about a billion dollars per week, which quickly shot up to five billion per week. Plus, people, companies were given out stimulus checks left, right and center for years to come. Well, fast forward three years later, when all the dust settled, the government ultimately had increased the M0 money supply by five times. With all that money in the marketplace, well, guess what? People started to spend. Luxury items were flying off the shelves. Uh, if you wanted to buy a Rolex, it was almost impossible to find. Used car values hit all-time highs, as did real estate prices. But it was not all good times forever because all of this spending spree was quickly followed by, well, the hangover, including soaring inflation rates, which followed higher interest rates, both of which are still to this day wreaking havoc on consumers, homeowners, and businesses nationwide. The economy, Canada, was simply not built to withstand that extreme of a change in monetary policy. And we're all feeling the effects today. So why am I repeating this kind of history lesson? Why are we looking back? Well, it appears that Canada is almost turning into this country of extremes with the government seeming to almost have completely forgotten what that such an extreme could have consequences. Because today, the government is essentially doing the same thing with population growth and immigration. Immigration numbers have been running at near all-time highs for two years now, with 1.2 million people being added to this country in just the past 12 months alone. One of the immediate results of such a massive increase in policy change with immigration was, of course, the spike in rental rates, which we saw hit an all-time high nationwide just four months ago. This unprecedented surge in population is now being felt in our healthcare system with a record high amount of people in hospital beds and record wait times just to see a doctor. Our school system, which is already bursting at the seams, seems to have the only solution of being adding dozens of portable rooms. And that is definitely not a long-term solution. On top of this, just this very week, the electrical grid in BC hit an all-time high in its demand, coming dangerously close to its maximum capacity. More people means more demand on power. Pretty straightforward. And I think realistically, we're just at the tip of the iceberg of the multitude of issues that lay before us. You simply, you can't add that massive level of population growth into an area with no infrastructure plan and no housing plan to accommodate them all. So there will be consequences, just like when they added the extreme amount of money into the country. So what is the population boom result? Well, Canada, it looks to be, is is entering into what's called a, a population trap. And a population trap is defined as a a situation where no increase in living standards is possible because the population is growing so fast that all available savings are needed just to maintain the existing capital to labor ratio. So while our finance minister is out there quoting that Canada has the social capacity to welcome immigrants, there doesn't seem to be a tangible number attached to that. So she's correct. But guess what? Maybe the 2 million people being added in two years is not that right number. One that, you know, the current infrastructure simply does not allow for.
1: Yeah. Wow. You put it into perspective there. It's, it's crazy, Dan. I mean, what's further too? Canada's population growth in 2023 was 3.2%. And this is five times higher than the organization for economic cooperation and development's average but what's more is all 10 provinces grew at least twice as fast as that uh, OECD average ranging from 1.3% in Newfoundland to 4.3% in Alberta the average was 0.6% so looking deeper at housing now the challenge of absorbing uh, sorry of absorbing this rate of growth is evident in housing. I mean, that's the first place it's going to show up. The supply deficit reached a new record of only one housing start for every 4.2 people entering the working age population. Compare this to the historical average of 1.8, and it's more than double. Now Canada claims to have introduced programs to increase the amount of housing supply, though we know that's not going to be an immediate fix. That can't just happen overnight. And to put that into perspective, Canada would need to hit 700,000 housing starts per year to keep up with demand, when the reality is that the country averages around 220,000 per year and has only once crossed 320,000 starts. More than doubling this is not only unrealistic, but it may not even be attainable. So what's more is looking at the last two years, even with all these so-called government initiatives in place, Canada actually started less houses in 2023 than they did in 2022. 7% less, to be exact, when we need to be at least 150% more than where we are now.
0: So you can see where the troubles are going here. You simply can't turn on the immigration number Tap to you know all time high, and then expect the infrastructure, the housing, the country to be able to absorb them. And this is really setting ourselves up for more and more pain, if you will, as time goes on. Now, quick look over as well as to how this is affecting GDP, because essentially the policymakers they, they have to understand that focusing solely on increasing housing supply is not sufficient. It's not just a one problem scenario that's being created here. They need to acknowledge that you know beyond a certain threshold population growth can actually hinder economic prosperity because the stagnation of real GDP per capita over the last six years really illustrates that issue clearly. And what's more? Well, Canada's capital stock per capita has been essentially trending downwards since the mid 60s. But when we look to last year, it basically collapsed and went negative to the tune of 1.5%. So what does that mean? Well, it means the population is growing so fast that we don't have enough savings to stabilize the capital to labor ratio. And the outcome of this inevitability is to increase GDP per capita, right? So what the economists at the National Bank are calling the population trap this is where canada has kind of painted itself into a corner again similar to what they did by uh printing too much money and then having these massive interest payments well they're also doing a similar tactic here with our immigration growth. so let's take housing out of this picture though and see what that looks like because when you do that the capital stock to population ratio that's been trending down for about seven years and is currently back to 2012 levels meanwhile USA is on a current path to hit a record high for the exact same metric. So those two countries have diverged when you look to that measurement. So again, to kind of somewhat summarize this, um, this, this population trap um, that Canada's caught into, well, it's typically only seen in in emerging economies, not established ones like here in Canada. It's very unusual for a country this far along to be experiencing this, Um, the recommendation. To fix this, at least to, I guess, stabilize it moving forward is similar to Pierre Polyev's recent comment where he suggested, well, let's tie the amount of population growth to our housing growth capabilities. Seems pretty logical, right? So policymakers should set population goals against the constraint of capital stock. So there's a couple metrics that we should be looking to when it comes to how many people can our country grow by in a healthy manner. And of course, this is also, let's include the, the housing realities and, and infrastructure growth in that as well, the schools, the hospitals, and everything we've touched on. So, the National Bank article that we're pulling a lot of this data from suggests that countries' annual population growth, the real target, should be somewhere between 300 and 500,000 people annually. That's an approximate sustainable growth. So, you get the picture here why how tripling that to 1.2 million in the last 12 months may cause some issues on our infrastructure housing etc
1: i think you're spot on there dan and i think the report is also spot on Uh, you can't invite everybody over for dinner if you don't have enough food to feed everyone it's it's (laughs) it, it almost feels too basic to to discuss you'd think you'd see it coming However, uh, you know, I know that uh, Canada opened up its doors because of a labor shortage and all these other things, but it's it was too much too fast. And we're also feeling the results of that now, uh, as well as the compounding effects of interest rates and everything we went through in the COVID era. So uh, that is also showing up in our CPA, CPI data. So looking at Canada and the US here uh, with the CPI reports, they're both quite similar. I'll go over Canada's in detail here. StatsCan has come out, obviously, and shown that the annual growth in December was up to 3.4%. That's up from 3.1% the month before. The rate was a little higher than anticipated, uh, but largely attributed to base effects. Um, And that particular item in the economy was gasoline. Um, However, I I do want to explain what a baseline effect is for those who don't know. Uh, a base effect relates to inflation in the corresponding period to the previous year. So if inflation rate was too low in that corresponding period of the previous year, even a small rise in prices will move um, arithmetically and give a higher rate of inflation now. So it's it's a temporary look, uh, and, and it, it doesn't create a trend, but it does scare the hell out of uh, economists, and we can see that here. Shelter costs also continue to push inflation higher. Rents in particular, CPI has uh, estimated that shelter costs have grown seven point seven percent in December, adding zero point three point sorry zero point three points to November's rate. What might trouble the Bank of Canada more than anything though um, is the CPI trim and the CPI median core measures which both rose by a larger 0.4% month over month. So what's effectively taking place is we've got two sort of scenarios that are playing out. One in the short run, which could slow down the anticipated rate cuts and could also reduce the rate depth to which central banks cut to if we have these uh, these core median CPI numbers stickier than anticipated. So in the short run, we're, we're dealing with potentially higher rates for longer, as we've heard. And that's maybe filtering into the markets here. And we may see rates getting cut potentially later than the future markets had anticipated. Well, in the long run, much like we've talked about uh, in the, you know at the start of this podcast, we have a huge immigration policy issue that will put a ton of strain on housing, health care and education, I think. For years to come now, these higher rates are going to be are, are typically designed to stifle economic activity and bring down inflation in the near term. But I don't think you'll see a, a large supply of housing, of doctors, or of teachers to catch up in time for the increase in population that we've had over the short run here. Uh, it's not going to have a meaningful impact on on pressure of price because. I think what we've seen is too big of an influx in such a short period of time. And here's what other economists are saying. So from the National Bank of Canada, here it is in quotes, if it were just the country's inflation situation, CPI and wage data, we'd recommend the central bank stay on its toes. However, we have repeatedly pointed out, that inflation is a lagging indicator of economic conditions and that it would be dangerous to base future monetary policies solely on current price pressures. The economy is showing several signs of weakening, as evidenced in faltering economic growth and a sharp rise in the unemployment rate. With this in mind, inflationary fears are less and less on our radar for 2024. Comparatively speaking to Doug Porter, who's the chief economist for BMO, while the higher headline was a, a little surprise and precisely mimicked the U.S. inflation experience in December, the slightly more unsettling news is the persistence of core in the mid-threes. That sticky theme was echoed in yesterday's Business Outlook survey and suggests that the last mile of inflation fight might prove to be the most challenging, bringing underlying inflation sustainably back to 3 per- or below 3%. Given that wage trends are also stuck in the 4-5% to range, and now even housing may be showing a pulse, suggests that the Bank of Canada will doggedly maintain a cautious stance at at next week's rate decision. We are comfortable with our call of a first-rate cut in the June meeting, even as markets lean in earlier.
0: So every week, every day, new data and new projections as to rate cuts. And so as of right now, maybe that can is getting kicked further down the road. And so the a full one percentage of the CPI basket this last um, meeting here was in shelter. And shelter, of course, includes rents. And when you have a massive population growth, it is no surprise or should be no surprise that rents increase as well. So there's a wonderful chart here that we're going to share on YouTube. But if you're just listening to this one, I'll, I'll kind of walk you through it here. This chart dates back to the 80s. And it essentially overlays Canada's population growth percentage with the Canadian rental CPI growth percentage. And I mean, they correlate almost exactly lockstep right on top of each other for the past 40 years. So there should be absolutely no surprise that when the population surged in the past two years, that rents followed with it. Right? This is a perfect example of supply and demand economics. And of course, uh, right now, they are both sitting at all time highs, at least for the past 30 odd years, 40 odd years here. it really speaks to, again, what happens when you put unprecedented amount of people into a country, you're going to get unprecedented rental
1: rates. And when you increase rates at the rate of change that we 've seen uh, we 've talked about how developers have been struggling in the city as well just to maintain inside of this environment uh, we 're hearing of of even more trouble again uh, as another fifty uh, five story tower in Van- vancouver 's West End has recently been placed into receivership. Uh, this is a kind of an interesting story because I think there 's a mixture of of issues here, one being a a rise in the overall cost of interest and borrowing, but also, uh, you know, it's well known the city of Vancouver can take a long time to get permits uh, and and building permits and DPS through to developers so that they can get building. So check this out. Um, there was a high, this high rise that was planned in the the west end of Vancouver probably not be getting off the ground anytime soon. The development site is currently occupied by a low-rise commercial building and a seven-story apartment building originally constructed in the 1980s. And according to the BC assessment records, the two sites, valued as one as one parcel, came out at $98 million. However, the new owners of that property acquired the site in August of 2018 for a whopping $172.5 million dollars. About half of it financed by the Bank of Montreal, and the other was capital raised. According to the owners, they have been unable to meet the city of Vancouver's requirements to proceed with the project, and that's been over the last five years. They haven't yet formally applied for a development permit because, from what I've read, uh, it's been this encroachment of several view cones. So. You can't see, you, effectively, you're blocking other people's views or air rights to the, to the views that other buildings have. What's really funny, too, is that Vancouver has now decided that they're going to review its view cone policies just at the same time. Back uh, about a year ago, uh, CDRE was retained to sell the development, and a total of six different offers were made on the site, ranging between $81.5 million up to $100 million that's a good $72 million less than what the property was acquired for. And sort of to give you an indication of the amount of money and the stress put on developers to carry projects like this, just the gross monthly interest cost on this property is $620,000, which is in my mind, it, it's numbers that are so high here. But the appraised value, uh, and it was appraised in July of 2023, was at $192 million. However, that's based on the site's development potential. There's no evidence that lenders would ever lend on that. Ultimately, the project is going into receivership or has gone into receivership. And while there's much more to this story, it highlights the difficulty of developing high-rise towers in Vancouver the difficulty of getting development approvals from the city while also bringing to light the immense financial risk that developers take on are trying to create the much-needed housing supply that we so desperately need. It's like we've got private industry trying to get the job done but getting stifled by the public side of things, and, and it's it's made this sort of dichotomy of, of developers versus uh, versus, versus the public entities. And, and we need them to work together, not against each other. We need housing far more than we need view cones. And, you know, that's kind of my piece to this. And it's unfortunate to see this take place.
0: It's a perfect and, and modern example of how hard it is to bring housing product to market. I mean, this tower would have easily been 400 plus units. And after five and a half years of trying to at least break ground, they are now shut down so it seems yeah so again very very challenging environment when you've got one part of the country saying great 1.2 million in and the other part of the country saying it's we're going to make it very challenging for you to build homes for these people it just again sets up for years and years of a housing deficit in our country especially in, in the the provinces ontario and bc so no major solutions in sight no matter how much rezoning is happening housing moves slowly but population can move quick. So that ties it up for today. Thank you as always for tuning in. And if you do want to uh, talk more about Parkway 2 by Bosa, which will be built as far as we can tell, <laughs> please uh, get a hold of us at the county link below. We'd love to help uh, share some more information uh, as it becomes available about that project. So thanks again. Have a great day.
1: That wraps up this edition of the Vancouver Life Podcast